Having a class in front of you, Ulysses S. Grant. Ulysses S. Grant. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and uh, and get rolling this morning. Um, several weeks ago, we started this series on "I Wish Jesus Hadn't Said That." A series of lessons based on that book by Steve Timmis. Ten difficult, tough, hard to swallow, not necessarily convenient sayings of Jesus that make us shake our heads and say, I really wish Jesus hadn't said that, but I'm glad he did. So as was, uh, as is typical, uh, I'm just going to take a, a quick minute here to review where we've been. Chapter 1 from Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, deny yourself and take up your cross. Major point from that lesson, it's only by dying to self in the little ways of day-to-day life that I'll be willing to lay down my life in those big moments of crisis that are coming later. Chapter 2 was love your enemies from Mark chapter 8. And a major point there was that in a world where hating those who hate you is not just accepted but expected, Jesus calls us to be very different, to love, pray for, and do good to those that hate us, curse us, and abuse us. Chapter 3 was all about forgiveness uh, from Matthew chapter 18. And that showed us that Jesus expects His grace toward us to produce grace from us toward others. And when we choose to forgive the wounds that are done to us by others, we are telling God that I trust you not with just my own sin, but with the sin that's been done against me as well. Chapter 5, we looked at Luke chapter 16 and found out that you cannot serve both God and money. And Jesus offers a very concrete principle, uh, concrete kingdom principle, in that how we use our money reveals what is important to us and what we really believe, and that we are stewards. The things we have do not belong to us, so we need to stop living as if they do. And then, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at um, this saying of Jesus, stay on guard, stay awake, from Mark chapter 13. Uh, For those of us who follow Him, who claim Jesus as our Savior, we are to live our lives in the light of His return all of the time. We should be looking for His return. We should be prepared for His return. Jesus told us to be on guard and stay awake because He knew that our human tendency is to have problems with perspective and stewardship. And that tends to lull us to sleep, much like driving a car late at night. We find ourselves on cruise control driving with drowsy eyes and asleep brains right into the end of time, and um, we need to wake up. So we had a little break last week from, um, I wish Jesus hadn't said that, and Ben filled in, and um, I appreciate that. wish he was here this morning. This week, we're going to talk about another saying of Jesus. Jesus said, you should love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. The instruction for us to love our neighbor is part of a a well-known and much-loved story told by Jesus. It comes from the parable of the Good Samaritan. A quick show of hands, how many of you have heard that story before of the Good Samaritan? Okay, most of us have. Most of us have heard that story since we were small children. In typical Jason fashion, uh, this morning I'm going to go ahead and put my head on the chopping block and tell you that I think this story is pretty annoying and just a tad bit ridiculous. 
People only like the story of the Good Samaritan because either they don't understand it or they have no intention of obeying its instruction. But if you understand it, and if you intend to obey its instruction, then you're not going to like the story either. And that's kind of my goal here today, to make you not like the story. Um, But Jesus said it, so it's worth a look. In Luke chapter 10, that's where the story appears, and uh, as is my typical, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, but it's uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Valid question. What what, What do I need to do to have eternal life? So Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And that's a legit response. They were still under the law of Moses at that time. So you being a good Jew, tell me what does the law of Moses say? So the man answered, well, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You got it right, Jesus told him. You are correct. If you do this, you will live. So the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A Levite, or temple assistant, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, Which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. (coughs) Excuse me. Let me tell you why you shouldn't like this story. A parable is a story. But it's not just any old story. More often than not, a parable is a story with a sting in its tail. Nobody laughed. Nobody saw what I did there. Okay, Sting in its tail. It's a story. It's a tale. But it's got a sting in it. My humor is lost on people. Jesus often used parables to generate a little bit of shock. He wanted... Thank you. Yeah, just a little rim shot there. That's all I need. Jesus wanted to generate some discomfort. They're supposed to make you sit up and get a little agitated. If it doesn't, and you don't, then that means you're probably not getting the story. So Jesus told this story of the Good Samaritan, and he's getting under the skin of his audience with this story. 
Now, the story's got four primary characters. You got the robbed and beaten man, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Now, we don't know much about this, this guy, why he was making his journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. Um, he's Really, he's important mostly in that the other characters in the story are judged by how they respond to his situation. That's his primary function in the story. He, he works as a, as a, full, as a mirror for, for, these other, for these other characters. Uh, the road from Jericho to Jerusalem was notorious back then, so it, uh, I mean, if you were going to get beaten and robbed, you would get beaten and robbed on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. I mean, it would be the same thing as saying, okay, well, you were down there off of North 19th Circle in downtown Baton Rouge at 2 o'clock in the morning. What did you think was going to happen? Uh, it, you wouldn't be surprised. So there's no surprise for Jesus' audience that this guy got robbed and beaten, stripped naked and left blind, bloody, on the side of the road, whenever it's the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. So there's nothing surprising there. There's, there's no sting in the story yet. And they probably would not have been surprised by the behavior of the priest or the Levite. Um, the tale of these two religious hypocrites would have probably been met with just some nodded heads, yeah, it's about what I expect, or some people kind of shaking their heads in, in self-righteous disapproval, kind of like what we do. Whenever we read the story, all those religious professionals, they're so awful. <clears throat> but I mean, religious leaders have always been easy targets. I mean, who is more ridiculed in our society than religious leaders? Politicians, maybe. But for the most part, if you want an easy target, you pick on a television evangelist or the pastor of a megachurch, right? So Jesus taking a jab at the religious muckety-mucks of the time wouldn't have been all that controversial back then either. So still nothing surprising yet, still no sting in the story yet. But there's this one more character in the story to consider, this Samaritan. <clears throat> now, some versions of the Bible, depending on which one you read, introduce verse 33 where the Samaritan comes onto the picture with a but. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And that but, whenever we hear that, sets up a contrast. Okay, you've got the, the priest, the Levite, but the Samaritan came along. So it, it kind of makes us think that something different is going to happen with Samaritan. But if you read it in the original language, and it depends on which version of the Bible you read, sometimes that but's not used. And in the original language, it isn't. It simply begins with a Samaritan or then a Samaritan. So for the original listeners of this story the expectations would have been for the Samaritan to do what they would expect a Samaritan to do. And guys, the Samaritans, they were, the Samaritans were scum. They had no redeeming virtues. They were not Gentiles. They were not Jews. They were hated and despised by both groups. They didn't fit in anywhere. They were, the Samaritans were half-breed mongrels detested by most of society. And that's, that's it. So when Jesus talks about the Samaritan coming along and walking over to where this man is lying on the side of the road, the expectation probably was that the Samaritan's going to go over there and give the guy a swift kick in the ribs for good measure and then go on about his business. I mean, he does do exactly what the Levite did. He walks across the road 
Now, the priest didn't even cross the road, but the Levite walked across the road, saw the man lying there, and passed on by. Samaritan does the same thing. He walks over and sees the man lying there, but then here's, bam, that, that sting in the story. Because Jesus says when the Samaritan saw him, he took pity on him. So Jesus is, he is very deliberately messing with the preconceptions of that crowd that day. He's messing with their preconceived ideas and notions that all of these good little Jews in his crowd would have had about Samaritans. He's, <laughs> Jesus is doing what Jesus often does, and he's undermining our values whenever our values are wrong. <laughs> so he's undermining their, their values, their preconceived notions about these Samaritans. Very, very sneaky. Sneaky Jesus. So the religious no-goods, the religious no-goods, they respond to this Samaritan with just callous indifference. Hey, buddy, you're on the side of the road, that's what you get for being on the road to Jerusalem from Jericho. You got popped. Sucks to be you. But the no-good Samaritan responds with meaningful compassion that cost him something. So for the crowd that Jesus was talking to that day, mind-blown. There it goes. Because this detested, half-breed, mongrel Samaritan rescues the man, saves his life at great cost and great inconvenience to himself. So those, those two silver coins that he left with the innkeeper probably would have covered that man's expenses for the next two to three weeks, maybe a little more. And he even tells the innkeeper, look, I'm prepared to give more than this if necessary. And I love this part of the story because now Jesus is just, he's rubbing it in. Kind of like whenever you make somebody admit that they were wrong and they don't want to admit it, so they kind of give you like this begrudged grumble. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It, it happens to me every now and then with kids in my office because they've done something wrong and they know they've done something wrong and I eventually get them to admit it and they just kind of... They've been raised right and they know the right thing so it begrudgingly it comes out of them. You've probably done something like this before. Right. So Jesus, that's G, Jesus is he's doing that with this lawyer. He says, now, Tell Jesus who was the neighbor. And the lawyer can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. What he says is the one who had pity on him. So, there, Jesus, I said it. Are, are you happy? As usual, Jesus is he's making a radical point here. He's saying that mercy, that compassion is blind. It is non-discriminatory. Mercy and compassion do not work around prejudice. Mercy does not make judgments about the person in need. Compassion does not set limits on who it gives help to or the help it gives. 
Jesus is saying that we cannot eliminate anyone from the category of neighbor. That's some pretty radical stuff. And whenever you think about it, it's really pretty ridiculous. Oh, Jason, what, you know, are you saying Jesus is being unreasonable? That Jesus is being ridiculous? Well, does the idea of limitless compassion strike you as ridiculous and maybe just a little bit unreasonable? Why, why is Jesus even telling this story? Let, let's take a step back here. Why does Jesus tell this story of the Good Samaritan? Anybody? Why, why does Jesus tell this story? No deeper meaning here. What, what's the setting? He tells the story because the man asked him a question. He said, well, who is my neighbor? So Jesus is engaged in a dialogue with this with young lawyer who wants to know, how can I, Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with those two great commands. You love God, you love others. Now the lawyer, surprise, surprise, wants to know, how much am I on the hook for? We've asked this question in here before. Who is my neighbor? And that is a great question. It's a wonderful question. And this guy is going to be a great lawyer. He has a brilliant career ahead of him. Because by asking Jesus, who is my neighbor, what he's really asking for Jesus to tell him, who isn't my neighbor? Who don't I have to worry about? Uh, Jesus, I want you to reduce my liability just a little bit here. If I know who isn't my neighbor, then I don't have to worry about trying to love everybody, which is clearly impossible. I mean, you've got to set like attainable goals, right? Come on, you team national people, right? You, you set goals that are reachable, that are attainable, and you get those small successes first, and it gives you faith and hope for the bigger ones. And so I mean, right, Jesus, you don't you don't have to love you don't have to love everybody. That's not attainable. So give me give me the little goal, the attainable goal. I want to be successful. So if we're gonna love our neighbor, then we clearly need to define who he or she is. That's all I'm asking for. Because then I can get the job done and not worry about all the others that would just be a needless drain on my resources. That is totally reasonable. Right? That's logical. It makes sense. So that's why Jesus tells this shocking, sting-in-the-tail story of the Good Samaritan. He's answering the lawyer's question and stopping his attempt at self-justification right in his tracks. The lawyer wanted to find out, who do I have to love? Jesus responds with a story that shows love on an order of magnitude that should make every single one of us squirm and sweat. In case you missed it, in case you're still comfortable and pleasantly oblivious in here this morning, I'm going to spell it out for you. 
the parable of the Good Samaritan that you've heard since you were six going to Sunday school means that even my sworn enemy is the legitimate and necessary recipient of my mercy and compassion. You take the whole spectrum, the people I love the most, the people in the middle that I don't know and don't care about, and the people at the back end that I can't stand, everybody from this end to that end is my neighbor and is the necessary recipient of my love, compassion, and mercy. Everyone and anyone is my neighbor. That's a tall order. But you know what? We, y'all don't have to, if that does make you uncomfortable, you don't have to worry about it because it's just eternal life that's on the line here. That's, it's just eternal life that's at stake. So Jason, let me, let me get this straight. Let me get my brain around this. You're saying that Jesus makes indiscriminate mercy, instinctive compassion, and costly kindness essential non-negotiables when it comes to eternal life. That's what you're telling me. You're saying that if we love Jesus, then we will love our neighbors, which is essentially everybody, without exception. Yeah. That's what Jesus said. And if that's a problem for you, if you think about what that means, and and inside you, you say, whoa. If that's a problem for you, then let me be the first to welcome you to my world. (laughs) Welcome welcome to Planet Jason. Y'all see why I don't like this story? It's because I do not often and always love my neighbor this way. I often don't want to love everyone and anyone the way that Jesus is talking about in this story. And I don't understand how literally I should should take and implement these radical out there Jesus words. We, uh, we have this thing here in America now called the Affordable Care Act. I heard somebody on the radio just refer to it as the ACA. Y- y'all have heard of this, I'm assuming? Yeah, the Affordable Care Act. Obamacare. Maybe y'all have heard of it. So now, every single person, regardless of income, regardless of background, every single person in America has health care, or so they tell me. That's what I'm paying for anyway. So, yeah, if I saw some poor person that I don't know, naked, broken, and bleeding out here on the side of Hooper Road, I would call an ambulance. Right? It's covered. Affordable Care Act. You, you, You cover. But I would not feel obligated at all to load that person in my car, take them to the hospital, make sure that they had all of the clothes, all of the money, and all of the food that they would need for a total recovery, nor would I tell the hospital, hey, here's my credit card, in case it costs more than what I've already given you, go ahead and cover it. 
That would be unrealistic, right? That would be a little bit over the top. Right? That would be just a little bit inconvenient for me, for my family, and that can't possibly be what Jesus is talking about here. Tell that to Dirk Willems. Well, you can't tell that to Dirk Williams because Dirk's been dead for 400 years, but that's kind of beside the point. Check this out. 400 years ago in the Netherlands, there was this Christian guy named Dirk Williams, and he, Willems, not Williams, Willems, and he was being chased by a soldier who was intent on arresting him. Now, Dirk's crime was that he had chosen to be rebaptized as an adult because he said that infant baptism is um, it's not a valid expression of personal belief in Jesus. You have to be baptized as, as an adult. And so Dirk was, uh, he was part of this group known as the Anabaptists. And uh, they faced severe persecution for their beliefs. The men were usually burned at the stake and the women were usually drowned. So pretty awful. So Dirk knew that his arrest meant eventually they're, they're going to kill me. So he escaped from prison, right, classic. He makes a rope out of bed sheets and escapes out the outside of the building. And the soldiers spotted him and, and pursued him. So Dirk runs across this frozen lake and makes it, he makes it across the other side. The, um, and it could have easily escaped. But one of the pursuing guards goes after him across the frozen lake and the ice breaks and the guard falls into the freezing water. So instead of running off, he goes back and rescues this drowning guard. So by that time, he gets the guard out of the water and the guard's colleagues show up on the scene and they arrest Dirk on the spot. And Dirk Williams is subsequently tried and executed. And it's recorded that his death by fire was especially long and miserable. That was mercy. That was costly compassion. That was loving his neighbor. Now I suppose the good news is that for most of us, it probably won't get that extreme. The price of your compassion will probably not be your life. The cost of mercy that you show to someone else is probably not literally going to cost you your life. I, I, I doubt that for most of us in here. But for most of us, loving our neighbor will cost us something. And probably that cost is going to be weighed out in our attitudes and physical responses to those who are different from us. So let's make this really uncomfortable this morning because we haven't been nearly uncomfortable enough yet. I haven't blushed yet today. But how are we going to respond to the Muslim? How are we going to respond to the Mormon or the Jehovah's Witness? To the refugees seeking asylum in our country? To the blacks, to the whites, to the Asians? To the foreigners, 
to the drug addict, the alcoholic, prostitute, the homeless, the disabled, the upper class, middle class, working class, underclass, whichever group you feel most estranged from. How are we going to respond to the radical political liberal? To the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transsexual, or whatever all those other letters are now, because I don't even know the things like this long. To the socially awkward. What is our attitude and our response going to be to those people that are different from us whenever they are in need of our mercy and compassion? Because we all have this little place in our minds that specially reserved for a group we call them. Usually people that we don't know personally, they're just they're not like us. And I mean, well, we we don't like them. Is that too transparent? Y'all know it's the truth. Prejudice is a great time saver, guys. It is, prejudice is a great time saver. It allows us to form opinions without having to consider the facts or gather reliable information. It lets us form opinions without empathy. It lets us make judgments without compassion. We can, we can make judgments without any kind of real knowledge of people. Prejudice is a wonderful time saver. Prejudice, I mean, it'll save you from all kinds of inconveniences. Jesus' little story about the Good Samaritan, guys, it's not just a cute little Sunday school lesson. It exposes me and my sinful approach to mercy. It exposes that too often we default to a works-based response where people have to earn our compassion first. We just instinctively create these categories of deserving and undeserving people. No, sure, I mean, we'll reach out to the people who deserve our mercy. But the people in that latter court category, well, you're just going to have to stew in the mess of your own making. That's what you get for being on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. What did you think was going to happen, you dummy? You made that mess. Keep sleeping with the dogs. You're going to wake up with the fleas, right? I'm sure glad Jesus didn't do the same thing with His mercy. Because I haven't done anything to deserve His mercy. So what? I mean, is, is Jesus... Just setting some ridiculously high bar to make us all feel bad? Or worse, is He calling us to some 
outrageous standards so we can somehow manage to save ourselves by our works? Is that what's going on here? Do we have to go over basic Jesus theology? We know, right? He's not just trying to make us feel bad. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, right? Okay, so he's not just trying to make us feel bad. And we know that we cannot be saved by works. It is by grace you are saved through faith. This, that's, that's, that's not what's going on here. Jesus, what he's trying to do is show us the reality of what life is like in the kingdom. This, this is just Jesus saying, this is how it is in the kingdom of God. This is who you are. This is the type of person that you are in my kingdom. We don't fight and claw our way into the kingdom through our actions. But our actions demonstrate that we're breathing a different kind of air and drinking from a different kind of fountain than everybody else around us. So I want to... I want to bring this in, wrap it up, bring it in for a landing. Celeste, I know you got a comment, a question. I want to get to that. But I, I want to leave you with a question. With whom do you identify in this story of the Good Samaritan? We talked about these four characters. The man who got beaten and robbed, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan. Whenever you read this story and you look at these characters... Which one do you most identify with? If you were in this story, which character would you be? Not the one you want to be, but the one that's most like you. I like to think of myself, and I want to think of myself as the Good Samaritan. Good and noble and self-sacrificing and compassionate and merciful. That's who I want to be. But I've got a pretty strong suspicion that Jesus wanted me to see myself reflected more in those two religious professionals. Because to be honest, my response to the needs of others is more often like theirs than the response of the Good Samaritan. I'm very good at working with a highly selective and frequently changing list of neighbors. Showing indiscriminate love and compassion to everyone in need is a serious failing on my part. Frankly, I fail miserably. So I really wish Jesus hadn't said what he said about neighbors, about loving neighbors, because it's uncomfortable and it's unrealistic and it's inconvenient. But it also exposes me as who I really am. Even though I don't like the story, and I wish Jesus hadn't said it, it shows me something really important. Because never in my reading of this story have I ever identified with the broken and bleeding man on the side of the road. Sometimes, guys, I, I'm the religious professional. Sometimes I'm, I get it right. 
and I'm the good Samaritan. But really, every day, I'm that broken, bleeding, naked, suffering man on the side of the road who needs contact with the good Samaritan. Who had no prejudice against me, made no judgments against me, just loved me. Just had mercy toward me when I could do nothing in return. And maybe if I can keep that in mind, I'll be a better neighbor. Ah, wow. Welcome to next on Sunday morning. Um, questions, comments, responses, reactions. Y'all still like the story? <laughs> Go ahead, Celeste. You know, I've got a comment on everything. Mm. Um, I was wondering if there was some point that they were all traveling on the same road. What, what would that be? Because how you kept saying that, you know, hey, you're on this road, you deserve yeah. what you get. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you could say that, you know, they, those religious professionals were so blind to the, even their own spiritual state and predicament. You know, well, hey, you're on this road, you got what you deserved, ha, 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 but yet they're, they're walking the same road. It could have just as easily been them broken there and bleeding on the side of the road. It just, it wasn't. Which kind of, I, it makes their response to him all the more repulsive. Um, I, good point. Anybody else? I'm just being real honest, and, and a lot of times I look at that as that's that's a disqualification for you, as far as mercy and compassion goes, because you knew the right thing to do and you didn't do it, and that's that's sinful, guys. It's wrong. How far do we go on mercy and compassion? That's a good question, John, because I I've, I still want to know what am I on the hook for, huh? Disobey the law uh, to have compassion, or you know that's that's a you, you know you brought that point up, but we didn't talk about the other end. I don't have a. I don't have, that's a great question, and I don't have a good answer for it. I mean, I do think we've got biblical precedent for obeying the law. Right. I mean, Jesus even told them, you render under Caesar's what is Caesar's. Now, I would have loved it if Jesus said, you don't have to pay taxes you don't want to. Um, but he didn't. He didn't say that. Uh, another thing I wish Jesus had said. <laughs> um, 
That's right, Steve. And it might, it, this might change for me the minute I leave this church today. But up to this point in my life, I can't think of a single instance where showing mercy and compassion to someone would have put me at odds with the law. But it, it is happening. It does it's happen. And you can cross that line. And I, I believe that what you just said is true, but I also think that there are plenty of opportunities for us to show mercy and compassion that won't put us within, you know, a hand's breadth of breaking the law. We just, we don't do it because it's not convenient. Um, I just, I'm going to pray that you'll have wisdom <laughs> should, that, uh, <laughs> should that situation ever occur for you or for me. We show them mercy and compassion. My thought is, and, and I, I think I've got, I think I've got Bible for this. God gave extraordinary um, power to people in the in the Bible whenever they were in extraordinary situations. Um, my thought is is that He would do the same for us. And if I ever find myself in a situation where I need to show mercy and compassion to ISIS, <laughs> then I know I, you and you. <laughs> I'd rather just blow them up right now. I mean, <laughs> just give me the nuclear suitcase and I'll take care of it. Yeah. There were times, so if faced with ISIS right now and, and Jesus were here, I'm pretty sure he would say, Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure not. He would. But he also knows our hearts and the ones that would actually be able to change and know that, yeah. you know, that's so, right. Yeah. You know, that's right. You know, on the same sense of what John was saying, though, when you take it to the extreme, what if the Samaritan had passed four people in the ditch? You know, does. Does he have enough silver to take care of four people? What can you do whenever you expand hmm. your resources? How much of your resources, your personal resources, can you use? You every one of them, like all of them. There's no shortage of people that need help and compassion in this world, is it, Tom? Yeah. What do you do with that? You go bankrupt today. That's a good point. Hey, those are legit questions, dilemmas, <laughs> and I, I, I don't have the answer. I really don't, but I'm pretty sure I know what Jesus was saying about if the opportunity's there, you better show it. Um, hey, next week, thank you all so much. It's been a wonderful discussion. I love it whenever people ask questions I don't know the answer to uh, because that's whenever, you're, that's whenever you're getting down to business. It really is. Um, Next week, I'm happy to announce that I have finally persuaded Brian Tier to drop some knowledge in here and next, and uh, he's going to do that next week. I'm looking forward to that, so um, come with your thinking caps and, and ready to take notes. So I'm good. Is, he, is, is this, is this uh, series over now today? This series is not over. Um, 
I, uh, full disclosure, I 